Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series, now the fastest growing and largest leadership newsletter in the world. I'm privileged to serve as your host and interviewer each week. My name is Scott Miller and I'm a 23-year veteran of the Franklin Covey Company. Each week we feature a different guest on the program, often a best-selling author, CEO, business titan, social psychologist, someone who's got some great ideas to share. We're delighted that the pipeline of new guests is substantial. We're booked now four or five months out. And then rarely there's someone that I choose to invite back for a second interview, and today is just that day. A dear friend of mine, and I think one of the, the great voices of our nation around story, understanding the principles of communication, Nancy Duarte is back for her second interview for On Leadership. Nancy, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Scott. Nancy, you know I'm a big fan on several fronts. When we built this studio, there was only space for about 150 of my favorite books. And about four authors got more than one book. Seth Godin, Dan Pink, Dr. Daniel Amen, all good friends of mine, and I love their books, and Nancy Duarte. Three of your books are on the wall, including the famous wow. books, Slideology and Resonate. And now you're here today to talk about your new book, Data Story, Explain Data and Inspire Action Through Story. Welcome back. So delighted you're joining us again. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. I adore you. Well, I, I adore you because, uh, in fact, I adore you so much that Franklin Covey has hired Duarte, your design communication firm, and our CEO, Bob Whitman, who has a high standard on everything he does, perhaps the highest in the industry, has hired your firm to help us with our communications around our investor decks, our earning decks, the decks that we share with our clients. We've hired you to help us with our communication on our product launches. You know when our chairman invites you back into his office to help shape his communication strategy, you're the real deal. So you passed the test at Franklin Covey. Oh, that's fantastic. I have a fantastic team that, that works hard for you guys. <laughs> you, certainly, you certainly do. Nancy, before we start about your new book, which is actually launching today on Tuesday, uh, September 10th, I want to talk a little bit about your journey because you've written some seminal books. You wrote you know, a book on presentations for Harvard Business Review, uh, Slideology and Resonate are kind of the gospels of story and communication, how to build great decks. Talk a bit about your journey and the work that Duarte does, and then we'll talk about data story. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, we, we work hard for some of the highest performing brands in the world, and a lot of this work is me uh, as a pattern finder. I think by nature, I love to find patterns. I go back into our work, look across different brands, and then see what we could do to codify it well enough to uh, be generous experts and so everybody can learn from uh, what some of the greatest brands in the world do. So um, all my bodies of work are um, kind of examples of how we have helped uh, the greatest brands in the world communicate. And uh, never dreamed I'd be a writer, uh, but became one and I'm kind of hooked. In case our guests are wondering and those who are watching this uh, on your phone or on your laptop or tablet, it's very early in California, so Nancy's taping in her office. There actually are people that work there. In fact, I'm seeing someone walk a dog across the office. So you also have a great culture there as well. Yeah, we do. We have a really fun culture. People are here for the cause. You know, we, there's a whole lot of companies they could pull up to here in the Silicon Valley, right. but the fact that they choose to come here means a lot to me uh, because the work we do really is changing um, 
changing the world, changing how executives and brands communicate. And, and that has a lot of meaning right now in a, in a world that's kind of void of meaning. So, well said. Time. Nancy, I've read all of your books. Our CEO has read your books. My, my sense is like us, you like to write you know, valuable, practical books so that people can not just learn from the book, but also if they need more help, the Duarte firm can come in and help them. Uh, this is your best work. Uh, oh. I, I, I read this book in its entirety. I have pages that are folded over. My favorite quote in the book I'm going to start with, and I believe it's from the CEO of Salesforce.com, Mark Benioff. And I'm gonna read the quote because I think it's a great place to start. We need a new generation of executives who understand how to manage and lead through data. And we also need a new generation of employees who are able to help us organize and structure our businesses around data. Now, you've spent the better part of your career, Nancy, your TED Talks, all your speeches, your interviews, your podcasts, your books are around story, storyline, arc, understanding narrative, understanding visuals. And now you've written a book that's kind of drawn on all the expertise around leveraging data. Talk a bit about why you wrote this book and why you think the timing of this is so prescient. Yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, uh there's data everywhere and data is just everywhere. And there, even my creative director who's been with me for 25 years spends about a third of her time in data. So every single role right now is impacted by data. We have big data, we have small data, thin data, thick data, dark data, like there's just data everywhere. And it's great we have this data. It's great we can dive into it. It's great that we can swim through it, but we're kind of drowning in it right now. And the purpose of data is for decision making. And I was realizing even in my own firm, it was almost like data was slowing down decision making. Like it used to be, you just made decisions from your gut. You just were like, well, I've, I have a sense that the market's going this direction. Well, now we wait, we wait and wait and wait until we have enough data to actually prove that we're going to be headed the right direction. And so even in my own small, well, we're about 120 people, but we, it, it was kind of slowing us down and not speeding us up. And so I had a, a hypothesis that the greatest brands in the world possibly communicated data the most effectively. So I went back to um, my own clients and, and the work that we do and, and found some patterns that I felt are really critical and a way of communicating data that'll, have, that'll speed up decision-making, which was super exciting. Like I, I loved applying story to data. It was very fun. You know, Nancy, I've mentioned that Franklin Covey is a, is a client of Duarte, right? Our executive team hired your team to help us uh, simplify our data in presentations, like I mentioned on our earnings calls, in our, in our reports, in our uh, uh, investor presentations, and also in product launches. And I think you've uh, really swept the nation by storm in helping to simplify, which is kind of counterintuitive because you'd think that great designers kind of have a bit of a, you know, more is better mantra and all the tools and presentation packages. But at heart, you're a pretty simple thinker. You like the elegance of simplicity. Maybe remind all of us who, you know, fall to the temptation of wanting to over-design, over-communicate, over-synthesize data that at your heart and at our heart as leaders, our job is to simplify. Yeah, and I, I think too, at the speed that leaders move, the data has to be teed up in a way that they can process things quickly. So with all the business intelligence tools we have right now, we have spectacular ways 
to hit data and get these reports or these visuals out that are, you know, pretty complicated, interactive, um, every kind of chart imaginable. In fact, new chart types are being invented all the time. And one of the things that was fascinating to me is I thought, well, I'll, we could make a chart chooser, one that takes all these business intelligence tools and says, if you need to use this kind of chart, always use it when you're communicating this or that or the other. And the big shock to me was the simple nature under which the findings came back. And basically, uh, <laughs> it was almost embarrassing to say, really, 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 the world really should process data with only three chart types, the bar, the line, and the pie, or a parts to whole which is also kind of a um, cascade chart. But I was, I was bombed, right? Because I thought, oh my God, I'm gonna come up with this book. It's gonna be so bright. It's gonna explain how you use these really complex charts. And it went the opposite direction. Because if you think about the one insight that you find in that very complex data and business intelligence tool, that one insight is what needs to be conveyed. And that one insight needs to be so clear and so well annotated and just so obvious that it gets traction quicker. And um, we had a, a situation here where we have these really complex charts and I can go into these dashboards, I could click around and it's like, wow, you, if you asked five executives to go into a complex system and click around, you're asking a lot of people to do their own synthesis. And I think it saves time and makes faster decisions. If you have people on your team who know how to take data, synthesize it, get the insight and explain it. This book is not about exploring data. It's about explaining it yeah. in a way that everyone can understand. Well said, well said. the book's about really uh, explaining how, how data can come alive in visuals and story as well. I think my favorite part of the book, I read my favorite quote, my favorite part, and I'm sorry, I won't quiz you, but I'll remind you, on page 37 <laughs> and 38, you, you wrote out a chart that I think is profound. You title it, know how executives are measured, that there are six executive performance levers, that executives either drive three things up, revenue and profit, market share and retention, or they drive three things down, cost, time to market, and risk. Before I have you address that, I think this book is actually an extraordinary leadership book. I think every sales leader in the nation should buy this book and give it to their sales professionals to say, when you're talking to clients, here's the things that they're worried about. And if you're not bolting on to these six things, A, you're irrelevant, and B, you have to do it in a way that's simple and resonant because they're busy and they're fast and they need to have the information you know, easy to digest. Talk a bit about uh, these six measures of uh, executive performance levers and how data and story relates to them. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because really a recommendation around data should not hit an executive's desk unless you can uh, map it to one of these things. So there's three core tenets of it. It's money, market, and exposure. So on the money side, you're driving up the revenue or driving costs down. On the market side, you're, you're either um, driving up market share or driving down the time to market. And under exposure, you're driving up retention or driving down um, risk. And uh, fundamentally, this is everything that the executive table should care about. And any decisions outside of these should be handled by the layer below it. But especially in sales, I like that example because as a salesperson, you are supposed to tie your sale to some sort of business value or some sort of business return. And I think these are classic. It might not be completely exhaustive, but if you can tie your recommendation and tie your sales narrative to something that the executive suite cares about, 
your your sales will get traction. And the purpose of this was um, in the book is in a section about communicating up and, and how to do that in a really effective way and 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 how executives process information. And, and time is the scarcest thing that they have. So the minute they see something, it hits a nerve and they realize someone in the organization has the answer. It also helps elevate your own career. Suddenly you'll be the strategic advisor to your executive team or next thing you know, they'll be asking you to stand at the all hands meeting and be an inspiration on, on stage. So I just think it's really important to understand what, what keeps me up at night and my whole executive team and these are those things. I, it might be the first time an actual executive wrote about communicating up. I don't know if there's ever been another executive that, that has written a piece of work about what, what I expect as an executive from people communicating with me. Nancy, uh, a, a large portion of the books that I read for this program and for the uh, radio program that I host on iHeartRadio, they're great books, right? They're great, inspiring business books. They're often very ethereal and academic. And there's value in that, no question. Your book is, I think, enormously practical. And let me tell the audience why I think that's true. You know, I've worked in the company for 23 years at Franklin Covey. I've reported to our CEO for over the last decade, report directly to Bob Whitman, our chairman and CEO. I can't tell you how many times Bob will have a meeting with a division platform leader. They know they're once a quarter meeting or once a year meeting where they come in and present their plan for the year, the strat map, so to speak, and they'll have, you know, 70 slides. They've worked a hundred hours on every slide, this big deck, and I look at them and I kind of, kind of wince and I say, you're not going to get past the third slide. You're not. Because Bob is going to have his own agenda for the meeting. He's also been thinking about it. He's going to have questions. He wants to interrupt. And I always see the same kind of slow motion, emotional train wreck where the person is so invested in their deck and their own strategy. And I mean, I can count. Bob is going to interrupt you at least four minutes in. And by the way, the first three minutes were just a courtesy to respect your work. But he's going to lead the conversation if he doesn't think that what you're talking about is what he's interested in. I, I think you almost have like a, a stethoscope to the C-suite in your book. Would you remind us of some of those lessons that storytellers, data synthesizers, explainers need to remember so they don't go off on a tangent and they're not speaking to the busy executive that's got you know, a need to, to know immediately? Yeah, I think it's interesting because what's interesting about executives is a lot of them wouldn't be there if they weren't really, really bright. And we fly at a high level and we do obsess about a broader vision. And we're hoping that the people that come in, you know, you do kind of the parade of communications to kind of the parade of briefings, I guess it could be called, where you're trying to get um, missing insights or new insights because most executives are living about a year to 18 months in the future. And these become road signs for us to decide, hang a right, hang a left. Oh, caution, caution, you know, we're looking at these road signs. So when we see someone on the agenda, we start to set an expectation of what are the gaps in our perception or what are the missing elements I need to make a really good sound decision. And we're expecting you to bring that. These big, vast decks are important. Like I actually think that those are alignment exercises. So we can't necessarily throw the person out that comes with a hundred person deck because all that energy they put where their department crowdsourced a strategy, crowdsourced a direction and aligned around things. I would still hope they do that part of the exercise and build these whatever hundred page decks that become the guiding principle for what they need to do. But they blow it when they come in to talk to the exec. And um, part of that is um, not understanding their 
narrative. I think in about three minutes, you can paint the bigger picture, state what your data story is and your data point of view and the action that needs to be happening. That's the most important thing to get out quickly. Then you can have a, a curate the best, uh, best charts, the, the most compelling reasons why that support the case, maybe five slides is all. Everything else is appendix, because when they start to flit around like a hummingbird and shock you with some perspective you've not considered, you need to be prepared to at least look or give the perception that you've done your homework. You can take it out of slideshow mode, bounce it to this um, appendix, uh, pull up slides on a fly, and, and it'll look like you're well rehearsed. Um, you have to be super prepared because what the execs trying to do is right the minute they even see you on the agenda, they've formed a point of view. Yeah. And, uh, it comes up like, I don't know, it's, I'm visual, so I could see everything. I can see everything, but maybe this part and this part are missing. And when I see someone on my agenda, I'm like, well, I'm expecting them to fill in these two holes. Yeah. So the minute it looks like they're not going to, I interrupt, I, I ask about this missing piece and this missing piece, so I make sure I see the whole future, and then I'm done. I just don't need to spend that much more time with them. And so I think just understanding that um, will take people pretty far in their career. Nancy, my brother, Mike, was an executive at two Amazon companies, and he shared with me recently a blog he was writing for LinkedIn around he would go out and meet with Jeff Bezos and the team, you know, three or four times a year to present the business plan for the, you know, the businesses that he ran as kind mm -hmm. of a platform president. And he always got feedback around too much information, too much data. And you talk about this around the need to rigorously trim down the information. Uh, shock us all back into reality about the need for disciplined focus and how much data we share, how we present it, and all that we want to talk about may or may not be what the executive making the decision in our own organization or in someone we're selling to needs to know given that they're a year, year and a half out and we're kind of in the present. Yeah, I think sometimes as, as date purveyors of data, we, we understand, oh my God, this chart took me almost 40 hours or this finding took me about cruising through data for about 20 hours and I had to try to visualize it six different ways to get this finding. And then we realized just because we put a lot of time in it just because it took us a long time to find the insight doesn't even mean that insight needs to be brought to the table to the right. executive. So I think right. the amount of effort sometimes it takes to get the finding doesn't mean we should just keep slamming all these things in there thinking somebody's going to actually care about it. So it's kind of like we're, we're, on, we're on the journey, we're collecting these little bits of information, but once we're close to the destination, if we brought everything along with us on a journey as we're traveling through time, the, the weight of it is just too much. And so I think we're not good at, in, in a previous book, I called it murdering our darlings. Like we get, uh, and I have a hard time in the book, right? The amount of pages that hit, I had about 800 pages hit the cutting room floor to get to the 200 that are in the book. And I think sometimes we, it's hard for us to do that. It's hard for us to vet our own ideas. In the book, I encourage people to run run it by somebody, get feedback, and ask them to trim. Um, sometimes when we ask for other people's feedback, it, it bulges up instead of uh, trimming down. You want it clear. You want it to be clarion clear. And, and the, the big thing you need to be clear about is the action that you need taken. So there's this career moment where some people just want to flip the charts over and it's like, hey, it's out of my pay grade. I'm, I'm not going to tell them what I see. I mean, God, it's so clear to me. Sure hope executives are smart enough to see the obvious in the data. And they just flip charts and, and they see it. They, they know what they see. They're like Neo in the matrix, right? The data is going by them and they see things in another world. A lot of people don't, but, but 
they don't proactively, a lot of them, uh, add narrative to what it is they're flipping up to the C-suite or flipping out for people to do. And, and that's a critical moment in a career where they form a point of view and say, based on this data, I think the organization needs to take this action. Based on this data, this department should take this action. And that's kind of taking a risk for a data person to, to make a point of view and state the action that needs to happen from it. And that's, that's we stop, we, we maybe state a point of view or we maybe know the synthesis or the insight, but it takes guts and intuition to turn those insights into action. And that's what this, that's what this book um, covers. So simple, simple charts, clear communication, very, very clear action to be taken because that's the big thing that's going to transform the organizations. Well, that was the big idea that I think I took from the book. That was my next question was your, uh, your focus on simplicity, your mm -hmm. focus on you know, translating to the ask. You call them the verb modalities. Be intentional yeah. about what your verb is asking others to do. Change, continue, and finish. When, when you, you have a sales force and people, of course, sell solutions to you, when you're sitting through a presentation, what are some of the biggest mistakes that are easy to fix that people make around ambiguity around the ask? Should it be in the front? Should it be at the end? Maybe kind of work us through your expertise on yeah. where and how to craft the ask. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, so much of the sales process now is done online. Like um, a lot of customers don't, can't, don't, a lot of salespeople can't gauge where the customer is at without asking some simple converse, simple questions. We had uh, the same thing. We were buying about a hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment here, and one of our customers presented to us, and they presented back to us the very presentations we had built for them to use in their sales process. So I was like, "Look, seen it, been there, wrote it." Like you know, I'm trying to get you to come and solve a problem, and we actually went with our competitor's competing pod product because this gal came in and said, "This is what I understand about your environment." Went up and whiteboarded it. These are the gaps I see. These are, the, these are how I think we can fill them. Like it was a completely different experience and I went with a competing, a competing product, which was really painful. So I think a, a lot of it is about, we'll always lead with empathy. A lot of it's about know, know who your client is, do your homework, do your research, but also know where they're at in the cycle and then use data as a persuasive device. I think so often um, because data is considered analytical and I actually took a risk in combining the word analytical and persuasive in this book. I actually thought a lot of people that work in data might throw up <laughs> over that. So I was very, very careful in how it's framed, but data is in service of persuading and the sales process is a persuasion process. So you have to take analytical thinking and persuasive, like literally um, argumentation, classic argumentation, and combine it with persuasiveness. And there's a, a page on that. So that you're framing your data in a way that moves the sales narrative along. Um, so I, it's hard for me to say, oh, this moment in the sales process, because I look at, as, at the sales process as almost a branching narrative. I mean, there are finite steps that you could put in there, but as the narrative starts to branch and move, I think the more you are an expert of your client and the more you are an expert of your own product you're selling, um, uh, the more you can navigate um, more readily toward a sale. Nancy, I would argue and anoint you as the world's leading expert on persuasion. I, I think that's true. I, I think it, whether it's through data, communication, visuals, storyboarding, storyline, you name it, if someone actually takes the time to research you, they will agree. 
accept that platform for just a moment. Your kids can appreciate that. What advice would you give senior leaders on doing more of or stop doing as they're in this sea of unbridled data on how to translate it into persuasion to either their sales force on a new strategy at a town hall meeting? What are some of the people doing that are, that are poor and what are they doing that, that are actually we should replicate? Give us some advice around what's valuable and what's invaluable. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good question. Um, part of the problem is I think that as data has become more prolific, our intuition has gone into a state of decay. And intuition, I think, is the most important gift uh, that uh, any leader has. Uh, great leaders are seers of the future. And I think that I kind of touched on it earlier that data has kind of made everyone pause and then we don't want to take action. And I have it happen. I'm a tiny shop. I'll say, I really feel we need to go this direction. All, and, and, and like three people in my own exec team will be like, we should get data to support that. Or, or well, do we have data really? Is that really the direction we get? Really? I mean, can, can we get some data? Can we go buy some data to support that? And I'm like, wow, it used to just be that, you know, big decisions or even tiny decisions. And I think we're letting it stall. I, I feel like um, there was a Marissa Mayer quote in here that I thought was great where she's like, you know what I do? She's like known to be a data geek. And she goes, I roll around in the data. I look at the data. I play with the data. And then ultimately I climb on this ladder, look at the purview and make a decision from my gut. And I think that's what we need to do is sometimes climb on the ladder above the data regain those skills where we used to be like um, like you know forest rangers that were up on those perches kind of looking at fires looking at future directions and I think we need to elevate our thinking we need to elevate our discussions at the executive level and uh, dream again and feel free to dream again because data will never be able to prove we have the right dream it can only you know, predict maybe a direction your dream can go. But as leaders, we're the dreamers and you need to cultivate dreaming in your culture because then data, data won't take you to the right place. Sometimes you don't have data to tell you the right place to go because something you need to invent isn't invented yet. So sometimes there, no data can tell you the right direction to go because you need to invent something that's gonna be disruptive and never been before and there's no data collected on that. So I just think that it's, it's dissipated our ability to dream of it. And I think cultivating that prophetic imagination is gonna be very important in this season where everyone wants proof. Nancy, a big portion of the back part of your book is a kind of a practical handbook, right, around fonts and sizes and graphs. I love how you kind of call out some idiotic, over-designed graphs that you can't tell. Are we winning or losing? And what should I focus on? Would you spend the last few minutes of our conversation kind of giving everybody some practical advice on the do's and don'ts of, of converting data to graphs and even to stories? Because not everybody has a graphic you know, uh, design team supporting you, right? I mean, everybody's kind of a graphic artist now, and that's probably horrifying to you, but walk us through some points to be yeah. careful to avoid or to perhaps maybe double down on. Yeah, that's great. I, I did an experiment with my own team. We have this very complex bubble chart that everyone loves because the size of the bubble says how much non-billable time they use. It shows if they're at their billability, how many hours a week are they working, and everyone loves this bubble chart. But then I, I, I was like, God, I have to roll over eight bubbles to just figure out like who's efficient, who's inefficient, who, who's performing, who's not. And I was like, so I went back to my data guy and I'm like, Is, there's an insight in here. I know there's an insight in here. Would you just, would you just take this and tell me the insight? And he naturally went to a bar chart. He took this to the bar chart 
he found three of the bubbles or, or figured out these three are your most efficient team and these senior leaders are not billable. The minute you promoted them, they become unbillable, became unbillable. On top of that, what he did is he annotated. He showed the gaps, he, he, showed, he did math on the gaps of the kinds, uh, the mathematical gap on a couple of the charts, pointed to these things, named the people. And it, it was just a test for me because I knew some of the insights due to conversations and stuff, but I thought, wow, here's this guy who's in my data all day long and he could actually tell me a lot clearer information than flicking me a bubble chart. And so I think that's like, the, the big point is you, you can plot a chart. So none of the chart plotting tools do annotations. It won't, it won't do the, not the level of annotations that we do and that we have seen are important to be able to process um, information quickly. And that was a huge fun thing I did when I pulled all the data slides, thousands of them, top brands in the world. I can't even name the brands we work with, but tell me, I'm telling you, they are the top performing brands put 24 on 11 by 17, put them up on my wall and a, and a pattern around annotations appeared immediately. And there's no other place anywhere in the world that has an actual taxonomy to how to annotate a chart, to overlay meaning on top of the chart so people get in a split second, the one takeaway that you want um, want them to have. So it was just fun. I, I We did a little book club here last night and I got really emotional because I can see the bodies of work that my own employees did. This is based in me studying the work that travels through the shop. And then, and then the training around this has been spectacular. People are just, it's, I think it's hitting a nerve and, and um, I, I, we just need to simplify and be clearer around it or, or, or things are gonna stall around data. Nancy, talk a bit about um, the conflict between People like me that you know keynote for a living and give speeches on large scale audiences that don't like to use slides or too much presentation software because then you become kind of enslaved to it. And kind of the yeah. other extreme where people build these hundred slide decks and they're just you know their 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 cadence is in is enslaved to it. Is there a happy medium when you go out and give a speech at a conference? Do you have kind of a sweet spot in terms of how you decide? how many visuals you're going to use? Is there, is there a tipping point? What have you learned around that? That's a great question. I get asked that a lot because um, people want to know how many slides a minute and what's the right amount. And a lot of that has to do with style. A lot of it has to do with the type of content you have. I think these um, hundred slide decks, they serve a purpose. People wouldn't be making them. That's a lot of work and a lot of energy. They wouldn't make these big old fat decks if they didn't serve some sort of communication purpose. Now there's a way to do those fat decks so they're skimmable and more easy to process. And there's a whole section about that, but those decks need to be distributed in red. They need to be a read ahead or a leave behind. You wouldn't stand and deliver because people will either read what you've written or they will listen to what you're saying. So that's why in these larger settings in front of audiences, you can't have both. They'll either read or they'll listen. Um, and so that's why you have to strip it down if you're doing a verbal stream uh, to go with it. The, ver the very last section of this book um, kind of covers how do you stand and deliver data. So kind of the first part's how do you explain it? my premise would be if you explained your data well oh my god next thing you know you're on a stage explaining it to the whole company or explaining right. it to your whole industry and you need to know how to inspire through data and that's when you stand and deliver it's different the big big docs are to explain it maybe or to expound on it but the minute you're standing and delivering data that's where storytelling is even at its finest and i've i've it's funny i've i've transcribed every single public talk that steve jobs ever did 
And what I would do is I would skip over the data parts. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that's interesting. Now, but that's just data. I wouldn't even really read it. I never really analyzed it. So when I did that too, at the very end, I thought, I thought, is this true? You know? And then I did, I pulled all, just the times he was talking about data. And it was fascinating to see a pattern emerge there that was already, I had already written, thank goodness, but it, it's it, expressing how you feel about the data, um, using exclamatory words about the data, framing the data with relatable things so the audience can understand the scale of the data, attaching meaning to the data so that suddenly now they're like, oh wow, that number means something to me. All those kinds of things happen when you use data accompanied with a verbal narrative. And that's the part that I think people uh, don't unpack well enough. Even here sometimes we'll work really hard on a concept, on a script on a concept, and it's like, oh, that's data, we're just gonna skip over it. Like it's easy to skip over data sometimes in a lot of decks, that's the most powerful moment. And we just think, oh, it's just data. I'm gonna spend my, my time with emotional appeal on all these other types of slides. But there's a lot of emotional appeal you can put in there with data to get people to understand because, sorry, I know this is a long answer. The audience and how you transform them can change the trajectory of your data. So you, you go in the data, you make this, ex, ex, um, this observation about the data and you explain it possibly the data needs to change. It may need to go up, it may need to reverse, you may need to perform differently. Humans are gonna be the ones that change the shape of your data in the future. Well, you need to be able to persuade people to fall in love enough or have enough affection or emotional fear or joy about headed the direction you are heading to go. So you change the human behavior so the data changes direction. All of that's related and we need to, I don't know, I almost have like a reverential feeling toward data now and it's kind of been a neglected part of our um i don't know of how we serve well i think your timing on the book is extraordinary data story is on sale starting today uh, tuesday september 10th it's going to become a blockbuster bestseller nancy in addition to hiring your firm at franklin covey we've also sent members of our creative design team out to duarte for workshops I'm guessing you're going to have a work session or a public program around data story as well. Yeah, it's been out for about a year and it's oversubscribing. It's that's it how we thought maybe this was really hitting a nerve. So I did it backwards. I did a keynote, then I built a workshop, then I built the book. So yes, it's alive and well and uh, filling up. It's great. Well, I'll make sure that um, we sign a member of our team up. And I've already told you off camera that my colleague Drew is placing order today for 20 books of data story for the entire thought leadership team to be thinking about. Extremely well-written. Nancy, thanks so much for your time today. Best of success on the book. I think it's a great leader's guide. It's a business guide for communication, synthesizing what do you do with all this data and bring it back into the common principles of everybody resonates with a story. So Nancy, thanks for your time today. The book is Story Data. Pick up a copy. Thanks a ton. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks for your time today. And we'll see you back next week with another guest yeah. on leadership.